God's love is, is here with us tonight because God is spirit and his presence is with us tonight and he is love. I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to ask Brother Tim Everett to come and give his testimony um, and share with us the journey that brought him to the place he's in now. Brother Tim, would you come? Amen. Amen. Um, thank you, Jesus. Well, I'm going to give a little bit of a background before I get into how God really started moving because even that's a miracle, of course. Um, I, I was uh, born and raised in Colorado um, in a non-Christian home. And uh, so I had no, no idea about anything about God when I was growing up. I had not gone to church. Actually, I think some might be able to identify with this. I had many churches, but it wasn't the house of God. Amen. Um, but not growing up in a non-Christian home, you know, first encountering God was, was not necessarily a, uh, an exciting thing to me. Um, one, of, one of the gods that I had was, was sports and football and, you know, participating in and being really a fan of, of football. And, uh, and that started at a very young age. I remember um, my parents on, on a Sunday sleeping in one morning but deciding that it would probably be good for me to, to, uh, to get to know God. So they sent me to Sunday school. Um, a bus came and picked me up and you know, I went to Sunday school and it, it was on my day of worship but it was the wrong place, amen, um, for sure. And so I show up there and I don't think I went more than twice because I was, I was, was not excited about being there. I would I'd bring these little, you know, I was probably 10, I don't even remember the age, something like that, but bring these little rubber super balls and throw them around the room and they're zinging everywhere and you know and it, 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 it that didn't bring glory to God I know um, but uh, but it was it was it was my beginning and, and and really it was it was showing me that that I had nothing in me no, my parents would just send me to do this and it was there was there was nothing in it so that went on for only a couple weeks and then after that I was released back to uh, to my real form of worship which was was college football and pro football and different things like that. And I mentioned, I know it seems so trite, but as I go through this, you'll see it was really a stronghold in my life. I mean, it was, it was very significant. So let's fast forward a few years though now and, and uh, you know, go to high school and I find out about this youth group going on a ski trip. And so I'm like, hey man, I'm all about skiing. So, uh, so I went on the ski trip and this was really my first encounter with something that was was genuine, so, so that was real from God. And uh, while there, you know, youth pastor brings his guitar out and stuff at night, and so the skiing was great, but the, at night they'd bring the guitar out and start singing some worship songs and all this and, and uh, give the classic altar call at the end of the evening. And I tell you, I felt a burning in my heart like, this is it, I think I really have found God here. For I mean, a real God, you know, not, not the things that I'd been giving myself to all those years. So they said, anybody who wants to pray and close your eyes, I'm sure some of you might be familiar with this and pray a little prayer and, you know, and everything's going to be great from this moment on, right? And uh, so I did that. I prayed that prayer that night, raised my hand and closed my eyes and did the whole thing and, and thought that something magical was going to happen at, at that point. You know, I thought, 
surely I'm going to be a brand new person here. That's what I've always heard happens when, when people come to God, but never seen it and certainly didn't happen to me that night either. Amen. I was, uh, I sat there afterwards, I opened my eyes and looked around and nothing was different. The only problem was I actually befriended a couple kids in that youth group who turned out to be some of my best drinking buddies and every other carnal thing you could possibly think of. And so I went from bad to worse at that moment when I, when I asked God into my life for that first time. And can anybody identify with that? I think the friends I found at church ended up causing me more problems later in life. So uh, part of that youth group, I ended up finding myself in deeper sin, more carnal stuff, but now actually going to church and singing songs and, and praying and or whatever, but there was nothing, nothing inside, not a thing going on inside. So that's a little background of where I came from as far as, as, far as uh, my upbringing. And then a few other gods that entered my life, one being ambition and uh, success and, and more than anything, probably an image of myself thinking that I'm supposed to be one of all of this stuff and become something that, that I really wasn't. So um, I wanted to fly airplanes and so I decided to go to the United States Air Force Academy. And even that, I, would, I didn't have the grades to get there. And uh, so I found in a, a back, back door kind of thing. I mean, it was, it was, I don't know if I would say it was the beginning, certainly not the beginning, but I started manipulating my way into the places that I really wanted to, to be. So um, the government gave some, they gave some opportunity for people to be able to uh, come into the Air Force Academy without having the good grades and all that stuff. You could enlist first and they saved so many years or so many spots a year for you to be able to get into the school there. And, uh, um, and I was able to, to achieve getting into the Air Force Academy at that, uh, at that time. Um, and there is where I finally actually met God for the first time, believe it or not. Um, and uh, going to school at the Air Force Academy, I was confronted by some friends one time about where I stand spiritually, you know, and, and looking back, I had made that commitment when I was in high school, but nothing ever came of it. And so I said, well, I really don't, don't have anything. And, and they didn't proceed to ask or tell me anything more, but I, I left that night, went home, laid down on my bed and said, God, if you're real, would you make yourself known to me? And I'll tell you, this time, if I, I wouldn't call it a magical thing, but something did finally start to come into my heart. You know, I, I finally started feeling a love for something outside of myself. I started finally recognizing that there really was a God around me. And, uh, and so now I'm here at the United States Air Force Academy and, and starting to try to have a relationship with God. And, uh, and it, was, it was the beginning. And many of you know, and if you don't know, many of you know that um, Brother Chris Crochelle, who's a part of this, we went to school together at the United States Air Force Academy. I, I met him in 1992, so it's been, it's been a couple years. Amen, how many years is that now? It's 29 years I've known Chris. And uh, I would say that it wasn't, I wasn't drawn to him because he was a Christian, although I think he would say that he was at the time, but I had no idea. There was just this personality in him that, that really drew me to him, and it was more of, it was more one that would be full of life, full of, full of zest, full of, you know, going after the things of, of, of this world, I think you would say. And I don't know if Chris is here or not, but um, 
but, but he would probably tell you that he had a lot of that passion inside of him. And, but anyway, I befriended him and, and, uh, and certainly didn't. Well, let me back up a little bit. When I met him, I wasn't a Christian. I hadn't had this experience of, of coming to God in any way. So, but then when I did and found out he was a Christian, we really started to connect. And I would say my journey began because of meeting Chris Cochelle. And I'll just give you a few examples of the absolute mercy of God in my life. Um, while we were at the Air Force Academy, uh, Chris and I started really saying, you know what, and we, we, we got together one night in a, in a, in a closet. We, you call it a prayer closet, really, because we started praying together in this closet. And, and just so you get also a little bit of idea about the way the academy was, they, they put time restraints on, on your ability to do the things you want to do. I was, you know, 11 o'clock was taps. You had to be in your room is what they'd say. And so you, you're in your room. You're either sleeping or you're studying or whatever. Well, we would go get together because our roommates were sleeping and we'd go pray together in this, this closet. And we made a commitment that night, not having any idea of what God was, was gonna unfold in the coming years, but we, we made a commitment that night and said, we're gonna put God first above everything else. And I tell you, that night, God did a, one of the, probably the first tangible miracles, I guess you could say, in my life too. He, uh, um, we prayed till like about 5, 5.30 in the morning. And I was going through a flying class at the time, and the next morning I had a flight at 7, I think. So I got no sleep, no preparation whatsoever. And I, I, it still blows me away that God would look forward so many years at a time like this because I went through this flight the next day without any preparation, without any sleep and had the best flight I think I ever had in the entire time I flew. And they had this thing called a proficiency advance type deal where if you flew well enough, you could skip the next flight and go on to the one after it in the curriculum. And it was the one and only time in my entire flying life that that happened. The only time. The night that I'm saying, God, we're gonna put you first. We're gonna put our relationship with each other and with God first. <sighs> Little did I know that this is gonna lead us here. Amen. I mean, this is still the beginning. This is still the beginning of how God started moving and working in my life. But I'll tell you, and then looking back at that and knowing that he's, he has such a grace, such a mercy, he can see ahead and say, you know, even though I'm going to show you something about nonviolence one day, here I am trying to be an Air Force pilot, and he became an F-16 pilot, and we participated in... in and things that I regret greatly now today, going and dropping bombs on other people, and you know, these kind of things, but at that time, for him to still have that kind of a mercy, that kind of a, an ability to, and really knowing that we would be able to look back all those years. This would have been 1995, I believe, when that, when that happened. And I'll tell you, it was a significant moment. I didn't, we didn't realize how significant even until we got here, of course, but I just throw that in to say, God is so merciful, amen, and he, he, he'll find us and help us even in the times when we're honest to, to say, God, I want to make you first in my life. It doesn't matter even if, if our intentions were, were wrong. He blessed that flight the next day supernaturally, and, and I can only say it was God, and it was marvelous in my eyes, amen.
So anyway, so that was, that was one of the first beginnings. But then going through the Air Force Academy, trying to learn how to live for God, but still very much connected to ambition, very connected to trying to make a name for myself, trying to find a place of, of uh, really, I mean, I would even just say it was, it was a self-image. It wasn't even a reality yet. But so when we went through um, the academy, I uh, graduated from there in 1996. And, uh, and then the very next day, I actually, uh, God also, he's, he, he covers us from things. I, 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 you had to have a, I'm sorry, I'm kind of bouncing around. I'm going to say a little bit here. You had to have a 2.0 grade, grade point average for anybody that knows what that means to, to graduate. And I graduated with a 2.2. So I had a, a 0.2 wasted effort, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... Uh, so, so I graduated the 2.2, and, and God knew that I didn't need any more distractions, I think, because the very next day after I graduated, a friend of mine was getting married, and uh, there was a young lady coming to the wedding that is now my wife. And had I met her prior to that day, I don't think I would have survived, or I don't think there would have been her and a point two grace left. I might not have made it through the academy, so. Um, but anyway, and when I met her, I tell you, it was, it was you know, looking back, I can say that God really, he, he really, he really put someone in place in my life that I would have known if I would have grown up here and she would have grown up here, that it would have been no different. God would have spoken to us. He did speak to us, really. She was told before she came out on that trip that she was going to meet the person she was going to marry, and people were trying to set her up with different folks and all that. And then I left that weekend after I met her driving home and even said, and then I picked up a guy actually at a gas station, took him all the way back to my hometown, which was like two hours away, and told him, I'm going to tell you all about the woman I'm going to marry. I, just, I mean, I had just met her, <laughs> and there was just this faith, like I knew God had shown me who I was supposed to be with. And... And it's, it, he, he's, he's perfect in who he brings into our lives when he does it, and it certainly was no exception for me because um, you'll see here in a few minutes that, that she's a significant part of, of our journey here. So, so anyway, so I graduated from there, went off to the pilot training, and, and really tried to be a Christian at the same time going to, uh, um, <laughs> going to flight school. And it is not, you can't mix two kingdoms. You just can't do it. It does not work, and, and it didn't work for me. I would never have been able to say it like that back then, but, but my heart and soul was all into flying now. It was all into to making it, and well, two things, her, that and Dawn. Not, uh, not so much Christ, not so much living for God. I mean, I still went to church, and I still considered myself to be a good Christian and all that, but, but there was really, there was really an empty emptiness in my life at that time. So, after graduating from pilot training and going off to uh, um, Grand Forks, North Dakota, um, that's where I had my first assignment up there. And, and just a few quick things that happened while I was up there that I think are pretty significant in my walk here um, and, and what God has done. Um, I'd say the first one really was in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I tried participating in some Bible studies with 
with some guys and even trying to help lead them on some level because I felt a burden for it. And, and so we started doing that. And, and I'll tell you, these, these Bible studies, they really didn't go anywhere. And I'm only bringing it up because there was one gentleman there that showed up one time and only one time who, who walked in there and started challenging a lot of what we were sharing. So much of what I was sharing and, so, and this brother I was with, I would call him a brother at the time, I guess, but was an eternal security type of a gospel, I guess you could say, and a, and a once saved, always saved. I mean, we would never have used those words or anything, but we were, we were, we were saying Christ has done it all for you. And this young man would challenge all these things and bring up scriptures, you know, Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 6 and, you know, and just these other, these other things that really kind of started to put a seed of doubt in my heart. Like, you mean there's other ways of looking at this? There's other beliefs? There's other, there's other you know, um, doctrines even out there. I was such a young Christian at the time. In fact, I'm going to have to go back and tell one more story in a second here, but... This young man, I, I still wonder to this day if he might not have been even just an angel. We never saw him again. Came one time. And I don't know that, and I'm not saying it was for sure, but he came with some truth about, no, this is a walk. This is a journey. This is something that you have to walk out for the rest of your life, you know. And it always stuck with me, like, this isn't a one-time deal. It's not a, it's not a prayer and it's over kind of thing, you know. And I, I never forgot that guy. I don't remember his name, but I'll never forgot him. And I, if he is around, I hope he's, he's fortunate enough to come across what we have found here. But, but anyway, so I'm gonna jump back real quick. Because it was also at the Air Force Academy, and this is a significant part, but this is where, where I really met God, okay? I mean, I, I was, that was where I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. I had, uh, in fact, my friends that got married when I met my wife, um, those two friends, they were, they were engaged at the time, but they were Christians on some level, and, and she came to me one evening and said, I feel like God spoke to me that you're supposed to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I kind of was like, the Holy what? I mean, the, I had no idea. I mean, I didn't say that, but that's really what was going on. I had no idea what you're talking about. You mean filled? What do you mean? I mean, didn't, you know, so, but I also was so young in my faith and so naive that, and I, I would say, trusting even better, more so than naive, that I believed her. And um, I went to church with them that night in fear and trembling, thinking is something's gonna happen here, amen? And uh, while, while, while I was there, you know, they, it, not during the meeting, but afterward, they knew that was why I'd come. They, she must have talked to somebody or something. So we went up front and we prayed after the meeting for a good 45 minutes and I just remember having the faith to believe that whatever this is, that God could do it. And, and he did. He, he, he filled me with the Spirit that night. I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you that I remember exactly all that happened other than I was so overwhelmed by it that I didn't even want to move. I mean, any, I mean, my experience anyway, I was tingling from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes and through every f digit on my hand. I mean, it was, it was totally unreal power that I'd never, never experienced before in my life. So I knew something had happened. And then the, then the pastor there just said, only good advice he gave me is the devil's going to tell you tomorrow that this didn't happen. But that was it. There was no discipleship. There was no next step. There was no, what do you do with this after, after having an experience like that, right? So I, uh, 
I left that night knowing that something would happen, and I started a journey that I found out from that point to the point I met this church, which was 12 years, really, having no discipleship, no one to tell me what to do, I would pray back through, sometimes daily, but sometimes, sometimes it would be, uh, you know, I mean, once a month or whatever, but I would, I would always go back to this and say, I know something happened to me, and I just kept this seed alive that was in there for, for 12 years, really. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things that it didn't lead me into anything new. It didn't, it didn't I, I wasn't getting any new revelations from God, really. I wasn't, I had, I had no context. I had no body. I had no, no one to help me at all. But I knew that something had happened to me, so I kept that, that seed alive. So, and I'll come back to that here in a little while um, on some level. But, so now back to, back to being in the Air Force here and um, going up to Grand Forks. Uh, I met that guy in Saudi, and then, and then something else significant happened here which really built my faith. Um, we had a man in church, and, and by the way, I started, okay, I'm gonna throw one more thing in here that I think will help give some more context. I hope that's okay that I keep doing this, but, um, but this, you know, this one more thing that happened was after being filled with the Holy Spirit, that was in an Assemblies of God church, okay? But I wasn't going to an Assemblies of God church. After I'd gotten to going to church, I went to a non-denominational, just evangelical kind of, you know, that, that, that taught that really the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, all they thought it was, was like you take this test. And, you know, you, I don't know if anybody, you ever heard about those things? I mean, there's, it's a written test you go through and you answer these questions and, it, and when you get done it says if these are your, it just guides you through this thing and it says this is your spiritual gift. Um, you know, I, you know and, and this is after I'd been filled with the spirit but not knowing what to do with it and then that's my next step into, so really my, my, life, my Christian life kind of got very confusing. I, I didn't even know it yet, but that was, that was where it was going. And, and there was, of course, no power in that. There was, there was nothing. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty empty. So that's the kind of church I went to after getting filled with one church. But anyway, so I say that all to, um, to say that God, the, the, the move of God's spirit had not been a reality in my life yet. He did touch me. But I didn't know what to do with it. But I hadn't seen any of the gifts moving yet in, in anybody. I'd never seen it. So in Grand Forks, there was this, this man um, came up to me right before I was about to go on a trip. He knew nothing. And uh, he came up to me and said, he said, you're about, he was trembling in fear and said, God just spoke to me that you're about to go through the most difficult challenge of your life, but you're going to come through it. And uh, that's, and I, I was just about to leave. I mean, I think either the next day or within a couple days to go on a, on a month long um, trip overseas and, you know, flying for the Air Force and such. And uh, so I left there going, wow, I mean, what does this mean? And, and I didn't know if that meant, I had no idea if that meant it was going to crash a plane but somehow walk away or, I mean, all kinds of things start flooding your head when someone comes and tells you that. Although I will say I'm thankful. I don't think I would have had the faith to go through it had he not said that you're going to come through it. 
Amen. I mean, if he had just said, you're about to go through the most difficult challenge of your life and left it there, I don't think I had the faith at that time to, to do anything with that. But he said, you're going to come through it. And again, I believed him. And uh, so I, I think I should tell you this story because I think it's pretty significant in, in seeing how God saw ahead and used somebody to speak to me. And this was the first time I could say I really could, could testify that God speaks through other people. I mean, in addition to, of course, being told I was going to be filled with the Spirit, this was the first very specific, tangible word from God through somebody else that, that he, he's real. Amen. So, and I'll cut the story short for time's sake, but on this trip, <clears throat> the first time I thought that maybe this was it, maybe this is what he was talking about was we were, we were flying and had, I was in Japan, and the weather was really, really bad, and, and we couldn't land there, and so... I thought, and I, and I wanted to so badly because all of our stuff was there. We were supposed to leave from that place the next day and go to another location further away. And, and so it's like, I really got to, we've got to land this airplane here. And, but never losing or forgetting what this man had said. And, uh, and so the weather wouldn't prevent, wouldn't allow us to do it. And then trying to divert to another place in uh, in a foreign country and tell them that you're going somewhere where they're not expecting you to go is a challenge, you know, with language barriers and all this stuff. So it really was a challenge to get there. And I thought, okay, maybe this was it, you know, maybe that was it. And we made it there safely and everything's good. Well, then we left from there and we were flying from Okinawa to Guam. And in that there was, there was hurricanes. They call them typhoons out there. There were hurricanes out in the area. And I uh, thought, oh, okay, so now we're going to have to navigate our way through these embedded thunderstorms of these hurricanes to get there. But we were taking a bunch of fighters over there. So we did that, and, and, uh, and that was a challenge. And I thought, well, maybe that was, maybe that was what this guy was talking about. And then, and then it was the same thing from, from Guam to, uh, to Australia. We did the same exact thing um, with all these thunderstorms. Well, on the way back, they were still around. And this is when I found out what God was trying to do, do, do for us. We're, this is Guam, okay? There's, do anyone know where Guam is? Is there anything close to Guam? <laughs> Not anything close to Guam, is there? There's nothing. And uh, so we're flying back into Guam, and the weather was pretty bad. These fighters, they took off, got, they were able to get landed. But by the time I got there, the storms were right there. And, you know, I knew enough history to also know that at one point in the past, I mean, back in the 60s during the, um, you know, Cold War and, and such, that a B-52, I think it was, went, I don't remember what kind of plane, but it went off the end of the runway and sank with live nukes in it. Does everybody remember that? Or anybody remember that at the, other, at the end of Guam? And so I knew that this had happened to an airplane out there. So there's these big cliffs, and now there's thunderstorms everywhere, and there was nowhere to go. And so we circled for hours and really trying to wait and see, just wait until we could get into land. And it, it, uh, it, it didn't look like it was going to happen. And we really honestly were starting to talk about, so what if we have to ditch this airplane out in the water? And I mean, there's 15, 20 foot waves, there's nowhere to go. And we were running out of fuel. And, uh, and just, I said, okay, Lord, I think this is it this time. But God, you said you're going to bring us through this. Would you help me? I mean, that probably only prayed at one time very quickly in there because for the most part, we were very engaged with what was going on. And long story short, we were able to, oh, well, I should, 
I should say that the Lord covered it. I think we were struck by lightning that day. Apparently, if you get struck by lightning in an airplane, it leaves like little pinholes. And so, I mean, it's not like this big gaping thing. Well, what happened though was we're flying and I saw the lights flash, a light flash, like there was lightning. All the avionics in the front of the airplane went off for a few seconds, but then it came right back on. I'll tell you, that gave me almost a heart attack. I mean, just it was, it was an intense, intense moment. And when we finally were able to get through this and I finally saw the runway from the opposite side, which of course was leading to the, the end with the cliff where the B-52 was, but so we had to come in opposite direction with the tailwind and land this airplane, but we were able to do it and I, I got out of that airplane that day. Um, and I'd never knew that you could perspire as much as I did that day. I, I went not only through my clothes, but through the two, three inch cushion that was back there was completely saturated. Um, but God saw us through that. And I stopped after that and said, Lord, you were so good. You were so good to, 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 to speak ahead and to show us, to show me that, that you're really in control here. And, uh, and so that was a, that was a, that was a significant moment in, in believing that God could actually speak to me. Amen. I mean, it was, it was significant. And, uh, so that was, I, I, I wanted to share that because up to that point, I'd never seen a supernatural move of God through another person like he did speaking to me through this guy. In fact, I really hope I could find him someday and even see if he'd be willing to come down here, you know? Amen. Um, okay. Uh, shortly after that trip, we moved, I moved to Colorado Springs. We were in Grand Forks that whole time, but I moved to Colorado Springs and Went to Colorado Springs, I found a church there that we tried to start plugging into, and, and uh, I think you're gonna be familiar with who this is, but um, and I know Brother Blair's written about it, but we went to a mega church in Colorado Springs um, where the previous, at that time anyway, he was the president of the National Evangelical Association, I think is what you would call it, um, but this, this man fell into some pretty heavy sin uh, while we were there, and in one sense, I would say that started to disillusion me a little bit to, to what I was a part of, you know, like, man, if this guy could do this, I mean, who, who's, who couldn't fall into some great sin? Or even, even the sin that I still was walking in and living in, was that, was, was that okay? I mean, and, and, you know, it was, I, I, I was wrestling with this because, again, I kind of came out of a background where I thought because I just said I was a Christian and I went to church and I prayed, I was... I was okay, I was saved, you know? And so when that man fell, it was, it was quite an eye-opening experience and uh, um, caused me to start asking some questions. And, and, then, and then some of these questions would start coming up in, uh, in things other people said. In fact, the next pastor at that church stood up and said one day, he said, it's really good to be in the presence of the body of Christ. And for the first time, even though that's Something we've read about, right? I mean, it's something we've all read about. I looked, I looked around the room and said, what does that mean to be in the presence of the body of Christ? I, for the first time, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even know anybody in here. It's, there's 8,000 people in the room in this service, and there was 8,000 in the one prior. And, you know, I mean, what does it mean to be in the, body of the, in the presence of the body of Christ? So I finally started asking questions. Like, what, what, 
What does that mean? What, is, what does it mean when the Bible starts talking about, you know, being persecuted and the things in the book of Acts that not only the miracles but the persecution and the struggles that the, that the Christians went through? I started wrestling with these things and saying, why is the church not like this today? It's, it's, it's so much, so makes you feel good kind of thing. I mean, it was, I was all a part of a you can have your cake and eat it too kind of gospel. You know, I mean, you can do whatever you want and go to heaven. It was, woohoo, you know, right? I mean, if you could live whatever you wanted to do and still go to heaven, then, um, you know, and they didn't say it that way, but that's, that was what I realized was real in my life at that time. And so, um, starting to finally have some of these questions come up uh, in 2005 um, was my first real encounter with something from here and Chris had Chris Cruschel had been here um, for a while at that point I don't know I don't think actually he was a member yet was he I mean I don't think he was I don't think he was still in Luke, at Luke at the time in, in Phoenix but he'd been here and he knew this is where he was wanting to come so he'd come out and uh, started to share with me things I'd never heard before. And for the first time, I could say that I could feel a stirring of, of, a, of, a, of a witness in the spirit, I guess. I mean, just, I, I, I didn't know. I was like, amen, that, that sounds so right. It's not anything I've ever heard of before, but it sounds so real. He started talking to me about what grace was. I'd always thought grace was this thing that, that you get something that you don't deserve, which is true, but, but not that it was a work of God. You know, not that it was something that would teach you something, not that it was something that would, would transform you, but I thought it was just this free gift, you know. And he started talking about that, and I don't know where it happened, but while we were talking, at some point I recognized I needed to start making some sacrifices of something just... I needed to do some kind of sacrifice, some pressing into more of God. And so that day, I, uh, I made a commitment to give up watching football. And the second I said it, and I know it doesn't even really make sense. I'm leaving out the piece. I'm just telling you that when I made that commitment, I immediately backpedaled and said, I'm not going to do that. I mean, there's, there's a big game tomorrow. I mean, this is, this, is, this is ridiculous. I can't believe I just said that. And um, so, so I went, I went back on my word immediately and watched football the next day. I probably binged on it. I mean, I watched it over and over and over again and, and really in one sense kind of cut my relationship off with, with uh, Chris at that time because he heard me say it. So, I mean, it was out there and I couldn't take it back, obviously, but he'd heard me say it and I always wanted to try to be somebody it was a you know a man of my word but at uh, at that time I was not willing to make that sacrifice yet even though I had said that so this this will carry us into to, to more but he left then and I didn't talk to him again for almost a year probably this would have been the fall of 2005 and then in fall of 2006 he uh, he was coming back through uh, Colorado so he called me up and said he and his friend Mark Dickey were going to be coming to see us and, or, you know, coming through. And so I said, oh, great, come, come over, stay at our house and, and all of this. Well, I, I, I know now what it was, but when they got there, 
I decided to, to really for about three hours tell them why everything that they were doing here was wrong, why everything that they had shared, where he had shared with me before was wrong, how there's no way you can be saved if, if Christ didn't do everything for you because what can we do in and of ourselves? And I mean, that's still true, right? And we can't do anything of ourselves. But, but I didn't understand it yet. So I just said everything that, that you're, you're saying. And they hadn't, by the way, they hadn't said anything. <laughs> they hadn't even said anything yet. I just was, I was convicted from what I'd said probably the year before, I guess, <clears throat> and still didn't want to deal with that. And um, so I, I, I didn't, they didn't say anything before or after, really. They just sat there, and I, I can still see their eyes, and they were, they were sad, really, because I was not even, not even somebody that they could talk to. You know, I was, I was very much opposed to everything that was going on here, and I didn't even know what was going on here. So uh, it, it, was, it was just conviction is what it was. Amen. So, but they left, and, and then during this time, another, another one of my ambitions, I guess, was I was trying to build, build some business and chase the mighty dollar bill in addition to, to work. But while doing that, I uh, was, went to a business conference and was able to take my wife along on this conference with me. And while we were there, now I would say that God finally spoke to me for the first time in a very tangible, tangible way. And while we're, I mean, of all places, a business conference. So God can speak to us at times that we don't expect. And I would say he certainly has in my life. That's been very true. So we come here and we're expecting to hear God, amen, and we do. But if we would have that heart that would be open to hear him any time, he could speak through a donkey and he could speak at a business conference where everyone's wearing suit and ties of all things. And, and uh, but it wasn't through somebody speaking, it was an audible, almost audible voice while I'm sitting there. And uh, he says to me, Tim, if you would search for me, you would find that there's a whole lot more of me. That's what he said. If you would search for me, you would find that there's a whole lot more of me. Now, I was pretty, <laughs> I thought, amen, he's going to help me figure out how to make this business work. I'm going to be able to make more money. I mean, this is great. You know, that was my, <clears throat> my thought at the time. But I never, I, my eyes beca became open from that moment on where I started looking all over, really, for God, what is this? What are you going to show me that, uh, um, that's going to that's gonna be more? I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready to see it. I'm looking for anything, every word, every word I could hear anybody speak and all these things. Well, um, as you could probably imagine, I hadn't talked to Chris from 05 to 06, and then after that 06 encounter, he probably wasn't very interested in talking to me again. So I hadn't talked to him for a while. And, and then in, I guess it was the spring of 07 now. So five months, six, seven, seven months later, whatever it was. And five months after I was at this business encounter and heard God speak to me that there was more, I get a phone call while I'm sitting in a movie theater of all places. I didn't take the call, but I was sitting there going, oh, look at that, it's Chris Cruschel. He has more. I remember there was more from now, not 06, but 05. And I'm gonna call him back and say, hey, can we start over again? And so I did, I called him back and, 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 and said, Chris, can you, can you 
go back and start telling me about grace again? Can, you, can we pick up where we left off, not last time, but the time before that? And this time, this time I tell you, my heart was so ready for what God had. It, it opened up a floodgate of night after night of, of talking on the phone, of searching the scriptures, of seeing and hearing things I'd never heard before. I'd read it before, and I'd always read it in a different way. Amen? I mean, things like, things like some of the challenges I would go through, and, and God bless my wife for even sticking through it with me because I was, I was you know, getting into things I shouldn't have been, and, and then even using things like, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do, but I would leave out the rest of it that says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I would leave it out and actually use that scripture as an excuse for doing the wrong things or not doing the right things. And it was my alibi. It was my, it was my way out, and it was so wrong. And that's just one example of, of a totally perverted and upside-down use of scripture that clearly is not the word of God. Amen? It's not, just because it's in there and it says it like that, it does not make it the word of God. That, that was justifying my sin. It was justifying my place, and it, it gave me a way out. So now in all these conversations that I started having on the phone and, it, and relationships started to grow with more people, but we'd spend hours on the phone talking about this and that and, I mean, all the different, and, and not even so much necessarily doctrine yet, but just... We were digging into the scriptures, and I would stay up even after talking to him on the phone, and you know, I'm reading through it, and words I'd read hundreds of times were telling me things I'd never seen before. They were totally different now. There was something in me that was what God said. There's more of me, I guess. The thing I got was, Lord, just, let, just show me the truth. Would you just help me to... Help me to see the truth of, of who you are and who I am and, and what, what, what you're asking of me here. And, and I'm telling you, the words on the pages started jumping off, the reality of who God really was. And I actually would get upset and pound my fist on the kitchen table at one in the morning saying, it's right here. What he's saying is right there, and I've read it, and I've seen it, but it, I never saw it. I saw it differently. Why do I now see it? Why is this real? What's so right about it? It was, it was my whole world was turning upside down. You know, I mean, absolutely turned upside down, and these conversations started putting this, this desire in me to say, God, I really do want more, and I'm listening now. Would you show me? And my, I mean, my eyes were open my ears were open. Everything I saw, everything I heard was, was something that I knew God was now revealing to me. And some of the things that started coming up were, again, so different. I would say, how could so many other Christians be so wrong if this is right? My heart tells me this is right. How could, I, how could what I had before be so wrong? How could all these other Christians, all these other people be so wrong? How is that possible? You know, and, and really there was not a, a, an actual answer that I got from that other than I just said, you know what, I cannot deny what I feel in my heart. 
I know that what I'm seeing here is true. And what I was starting to see was that the world was starting to fall apart. It was starting to crumble everything around me. And that what it really meant to be a Christian was to lay your life down. Words like some words that started coming to me was, unless you lay your life down. I mean, well, let me say, I'm sorry, like Luke, what is it? Nine, you know, um, he who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who loses life for my sake will find it unless you pick up your cross daily. You cannot be my disciple. And I was like, oh, God, how do I do that? And I would, I would call and say, I see that I have to be so willing to die. Amen? And, and the word that came back was, no, it's absolutely essential. You don't have to just be willing. You have to actually do it. You have to make it a reality in your life. Amen? And I'm telling you, that kind of a word would come that... I would hear that, and then I would start hearing about the temple. And, and actually, God started showing me. I said, well, if the world's coming to an end here and all this, then where's the, where's the, where's the, the new temple hasn't even been built in Jerusalem yet, you know? And I mean, all this stuff. And though I've read it a hundred times again, all of a sudden, God speaks to me. It says, this temple that he's building is, is one that's made without hands. It's one that's a spiritual kingdom. It's a new kingdom. And I, I call back, and they had made notes to say, they, would made, they made notes to say, we'll talk about the temple another time. But when I, God revealed it to me first, on my, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is actually happening. There's a, there's, a, there's a temple being built, and he's showing me that I can be a part of it. And, and, you know, and when this was all happening, I just thought of something. I have to back up for a second. When Brother Chris called me in 07, it was because he was coming back through Colorado. I'll tell you what, you know, he was coming back to Colorado because he was with Danny's brother, Teb, at the time. And they were coming back, and I think on a, a number of these trips, they were coming back because of Teb's court cases and stuff at that time when he was coming through his dealings and, and such. And, you know, and really, this whole story even goes back to Mark Keel here. You know, I mean, the thread of how God reaches us comes through other people, as we all know. And I, I just want to acknowledge this for a second because they had no idea. Mark had no idea that him coming through the struggles and the sin in his life and, and choosing to live for God would have the kind of impact it did on Teb and Danny. Amen. And, and Teb coming through what he did was what brought Chris and what inspired him to call me when he came out there on that trip. And he, he took a chance, obviously, because of how I had treated him the year before. But it was because of these brothers' faithfulness that they're coming through. And they knew I was in Colorado and just said, well, the door isn't totally shut yet on this guy, so let's call him one more time. You know, and for me, would he have called? I don't know, but he called because he was in Colorado with Teb for their thing. And I'm just saying this because Teb had no idea. He'd never met me. He's, he was in it trying to overcome his struggles in his life. Amen? But I'm telling you, they're coming through it. It's why I'm here today. And I want to say that every one of us has a responsibility to press through to make it because if we don't we don't have any idea what kind of ripple effects we're having on the other people that are around us amen you know and 
And because I'm on that thought right now, I'm going to jump ahead real quick to something that is a little later in, in here. But, but when I was in Arizona, um, I was going through a pretty rough time. But we were pressing through it. And I, and I got a phone call while I was in Arizona. And brother said, I just want you to know your testimony, your, the, what you're going through is helping to bring somebody else through right now. We just shared your story with them. And what you're going through has given them faith, has helped them to take a step. I broke down weeping and crying because for me at that point, it was all about me. All I wanted was to make it so that I could go to heaven, that I could bring my family through, that I could come and make it, you know, I mean, make it. And I realized that it wasn't about me. So these threads that came through Danny's brother and that came through Brother Mark, they're the reason I'm here. And then I realized what I was coming through was helping somebody else. I'm every single person in this room. God, your, your testimony, your life is touching somebody one way or another, whether you make it or not. So let's make it, amen. Let's go, let's press all the way through it so it's going to help somebody. Amen, it's going to help somebody. So anyway, I jumped ahead there a little bit and... But while I was going through this whole repentance time, I started, I mean, the truth of God and everything and all my world getting turned upside down. Don hadn't really had a chance to, to be involved with any of this yet. And I told you that everything I was hearing, everything I was seeing was so real. I mean, it, it, God was speaking to me through everything. I mean, if the dog wagged its tail a certain way, I'm, I was certain it meant something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so while, while in this, Chris asked me if I'd ever read a book called Pilgrim's Progress. I know, and many of us have read this book, right? And <laughs> poor Dawn, she, she knew that I was going, she thought I was actually kind of going crazy because I was passionately, diligently searching, seeking, changing, and, and she's like, what got into you? Because she hadn't been involved in any of these conversations yet. Well, then Chris asked me to read this book. And I thought, sure, I'll read the book. Certainly he's telling me this because God's going to speak something to me through it. He felt something, and that's what's going to happen. So what is it, page three, where the guy sees that he's living in the city of destruction? So right then, oh, I'm not a Christian yet. I'm dying where I'm at right now. So that's me. I'm, I'm living in the city of destruction. And I knew it. Well, then a few pages later, whatever, doesn't it say that he runs into the guy named Evangelist? And what must I do? I see this is falling apart. He says, see that gate over there? You need to start running for that gate and don't look back. And then when, it's, when it said that, if you remember, on the porch at his house behind him was his wife standing there calling after him, saying, where are you going? Don't go. What, I don't remember all it said, but don't you go. And I thought God was telling me I was going to have to, I was going to leave my wife and go run after him with my whole heart, but that my, my wife wasn't going to come. That's what I thought God was saying. And I wasn't willing to accept that, so I went and woke her up. It was one in the morning. I shook her awake, kind of said, you've got to hear this, and she sees my big old bug eyes, and like, what's wrong with you, you know, and like, <laughs> and uh, I read her up to that point, and I looked her in the eye, 
as serious as a heart attack and said, don't you be that woman. And I'm certainly not advocating that that's the right way to do things, okay? But I said, don't you be that woman. I said, I want you to trust me. I have no idea where this is leading yet in its entirety, but you need to trust me and you need to come along with me. And I'll, I'll tell you, she, she never missed a beat. She's been with me the whole time. But, but I was scared to death that I was literally living out that scripture in, what is it, Luke 14, that unless you hate your mother, your father, your wife, your son, your daughter, whatever it is, you cannot be my disciple. I thought, I thought he was asking me to do that. And, and in a sense, he was. Amen. I mean, in my heart, I knew he was calling me to something that was going was gonna to put him first or, or it wasn't going to happen. Amen. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And then through that, through this time also, as I'm talking on the phone night after night after night for hours and hours and hours and meeting new brothers, we came for a visit finally also. Um, through this time, it was, it was really everything I was hearing about about this place, about you people. Um, I was like, is this really real? Is this even possible that this is real? And uh, we got excited, and so we did what a lot of people will do. We started getting on the internet. 2007. <laughs> um, so we found a few things that 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 some other folks had said about this place too and uh, you know but fortunately thank God I trusted Chris and I knew I knew him well enough that I was gonna I decided you know what I'm, I'm not gonna just assume that there's any truth to this stuff although it's very poisonous to, to, to look at that stuff because it puts some doubts in my mind and, and heart but but I, I, I asked all kind of questions of stuff we found and, and he had, had he had many good answers to those things but but ultimately, probably the best answer was when I, I just said, well, if it's even half as good as what you're saying, won't you, I'm just going to move. I mean, that's what I said. So I'm just going to move down there. And he says, well, maybe you ought to just come for a visit. <laughs> I hadn't even done that yet. Um, I was like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I hadn't thought of that. Um, so we came down here on our first visit very skeptical about a lot of things, but also with so much hope and so much anticipation that if it was even partially true, that I knew that this was what God was, was leading me to already, even though we hadn't come yet. And, uh, but this is where also, in our research, we started seeing things like, oh, man, look at the way they dress. I don't know, I don't know if we can do that. Why do they have to do that? I mean, that was, you know, those kind of questions. and. And uh, you know, that was, you know, Dawn's here tonight, so I know she, she can attest to this, but she was saying the same thing. I mean, I don't want to do that. I mean, I have any interest in, I mean, I can still be a Christian. I don't have to do this to be a Christian. You know, these kinds of things. And, and, uh, and I looked at, looked at it and, of course, came to my own judgments. I can look at every guy's wearing a plaid shirt and, you know, and just, <laughs> I mean, uh, all these things. That, <laughs> And, and pants. I mean, I wore shorts even in the winter time sometimes. And like, you know, but I'll tell you, these 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 little things and and all the stuff that we'd read that that were were, it, it was just, it was just stuff that the, the devil tries to use as a poison, I guess you could say. But but when we came, um, 
it, it, did, it didn't take long. Even food. Food was another one at the time. I read all this stuff about food, and I come down here, and Chris was living at the Brim's house in this little shed. You know, we, we called it his tough shed um, at the time. He was single, but he let us stay in his place. And uh, when we got there, <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely silly, by the way. Um, but, <laughs> but it's amazing how God can do things through the most simple things sometimes. But we walk into that little room, and on the shelf over there was... This is actually embarrassing to say it. I can't believe this, but a bag of kettle spicy Thai chips. Anybody ever had those things before? They're awesome chips. But I'm telling you, just seeing that bag of chips, I was like, these people are real. This is okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> we, we can eat chips. This is awesome. So. Sorry, I, I mean, that's the truth too. I it was, it was something, um, just that you know, and yeah, just a bag of chips. So it, 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 my defenses already were starting to come down. Um, but then, you know, I he may have talked about the craft, and he may have talked about the the life here, the agriculture, and all this stuff. But I'd never seen it, and so to come here and walk into the barn even, you know. I mean, still to this day, I participate in, in helping in the craft village where I can. I mean, it, it, God started putting a burden in my heart back then even, you know. But I walked in there and just felt such a peace and I looked around and saw the care that went into every piece of furniture and every craft that was made and I said, wow, these people, they do everything with, with love, I mean, and, and care. And that's like, this is, there's got to be something real here for them to just do that. I mean, so for anyone out here who, who may have done any craft or does do craft, don't think it goes to, it doesn't fall. The, some people are going to see it, and they're going to appreciate it for what it was. I mean, it, it, it's really spoke to me. And, uh, and I would say even that it said the craftsmen, you know, are going to dispel the enemy, you know, it, it, it's true. I mean, all the defenses will come down in it and stuff. So that was a big, a big step for me. And meeting people here. Oh, and this is another funny story, I guess, with with that trip. That I'd read something that said that you couldn't wear sunglasses. <laughs> really? You can't wear sunglasses? Whatever, you know. But I wasn't going to let that stop the interest I had here. Well, we went to we went to the Frenches. And uh, for breakfast that one morning that, that week, and, and I'm telling you, Isaac's little brother, Zach, little Zachy at the time, he was five, I think, at the time, had Happy Meal sunglasses on. <laughs> can, can you imagine? I mean, even through the eyes of babes, right? I mean... <laughs> You know, he, but he, he, they're goofy little sunglasses, and, and I'm sure maybe later Brother Webb might have said, oh, Zach, you shouldn't have brought this table. You know, we have visitors and guests here, but I just tell you, <laughs> I laughed out loud. I don't know if I shared it with them that day or not, but it, it actually was another one of those things where everything I read was baloney, 
everything that, you know, all the fears, all the doubts, all these things that were, were in the way were starting to come down, you know, on this first visit. And, uh, and then we went to our first meeting. Um, and, and I tell you, like we've experienced so often, but the move of God, the move of his spirit, went, I mean, it was literally an experience where you don't know where it comes or where it's going, but you hear the sound of it. And it was like that in that meeting. And after a while, it, chairs were getting moved out of the way. It was a Friday night deal in the community hall, and people were getting prayed for. And I leaned over, put my arms on my knees. Brother Randy came to me a little worried and said, are you all right? Is everything okay? And I was weeping. I just said, oh, yeah, this is incredible. This is everything I've been looking for and didn't even know I wanted. God put eternity in the hearts of man. And he was filling me because I had stepped into the eternal that night and I was feeling it for the first time. There was life, there was spirit, there was breath. There was such a move of God that it's like, I'm home. This is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Amen. And, you know, but here's the thing. It was... It was still some struggles to come. Do I have time to? Yeah. There's still a little bit more I want to share here because that was our first visit. and We didn't move here for another year and a half, maybe. So it took some time. I was living in Colorado at the time, but after I left, I went back and it started to be, get, started to be challenged with every possible thing you could imagine. Obviously, doubts of doctrinal things that I'd seen and read before, even though I was reading and finding the truth. Oh, it's right here. This is it. But then they, then they start coming second-guessing and going back on you know, some of that. And then other things that happened was I still continue these phone calls, by the way, after that first visit. And uh, during one of those phone calls, I remember, I think it was Chris again, but it could have been somebody else. Now I had more relationships by this point, but um, somebody was sharing how they would go. They went into their their pastor at an old church, not here, but a different church that they were part of, and and were confessing their sins, you know, and and the kind of things and the kind of sin that that they were confessing. It was like, oh man, I mean, I've got some of this in my life still right now, you know, and. Uh, um, and I remember a couple things. One, that the pastor told him, wow, well, you're a better person than I am. I mean, that's what he said for even coming to confess him. He had nothing to offer, nothing to help him with. And I was like, oh, Lord, God, help me to find a place where that doesn't happen. Because as he's sharing, I'm feeling and seeing the needs in my own life, the, the mistakes that I'd made and the things that I had to start reconciling, you know, and coming through. And, and a whole process started here where, I think for weeks, it seems like weeks, it might have only been days, but of a real repentance experience started to come. We, I would lay on the table, or on, not on the table, on the, on the couch, like in a fetal position, weeping and crying and just saying, oh God, how come this, how is this possible that this is all true and how is it that you're trying to show me all these things of who I was? I thought it was, you know, I mean, just all the wrestling of, recognizing a nature inside that still wasn't broken, you know? And, um, and one of the things was 
at, a, at the job I had at this time now, I'm still kind of 07 here, and at this time I was a pharmaceutical sales rep, so I was a legalized drug dealer. Um, and uh, I was working in, um, in uh, New Mexico at the time, and, and something happened while I was, I was there that I ended up lying about something that I was trying to cover something up in the right way, so even the motive in my eyes was that it was the right thing to do, but I did it the wrong way. I, I actually lied about this thing, and for the first time in my life, instead of just saying, oh God, I know you'll forgive me for that, um, and not really praying about it, I was convicted that I had to tell somebody about it, and I had to call my boss about this, so we're in, we're in, uh, we're in Colorado still, and and I looked, one day I recognized I had, to, I had to call my boss and say I did this. And I mean, it had been, by the way, seven months, I think, since I'd made this mistake. But this was what was starting to happen. I was starting to see a, a real need to come, through, come to a place of repentance, to come to a place of, of, of dealing with the things in my life that I had done wrong. And, and so I called my boss. Well, even before I called my boss, let me just say this. I was in the kitchen that day knowing what I was going to do. And, my wife's there, and Grant, who's 15 today, was maybe one at the time still. He was only one. And I looked at them, and then I would turn away, go like to the pantry or something, and just burst into tears because I knew what I was going to have to do was most likely going to cost me my job. And then I'd wipe the tears away real quick and turn back and talk with them, and then I would turn again and break down again in tears of going, God, are you really asking me to do this? I feel like I have to do this, and I feel like if I don't, that I'm sacrificing their future, their life, their salvation too, not just my own. So God was convicted me, I've got to do this. And I called my boss the next, that morning, and three weeks later, I was, I was let go of that job. And I'll tell you, it was, I had a mortgage, in a house in Colorado that we still had to pay for. Now I had no job. Now I also knew I couldn't get a job because of what had just happened, you know? And, and, uh, um, and I remember Brother Webb calling me up when he'd heard that what I'd done and what had happened. And it filled me with such faith. He, he just spoke a simple, very encouraging word and just said, Brother Tim, this is a mercy they just fired their only honest person. And I was like, well, I got fired for lying. I mean, and I did, that's what I did. But, but he was encouraging me that you're, you're making the right steps here and, and, and because of your honesty and because they fired you, they're telling everybody else that don't you come and tell us when you've made a mistake like that, you just keep your mouth shut and just keep, keep, on, keep on going. And uh, I didn't know that it was a mercy at the time. At the time, I thought the whole world was caving in, but I still said, okay, I'm going to trust you, Lord. And from here, you would think, by the way, at this point, I was ready to come here. I was ready to move, be a part of this. And so losing my job was really maybe a good opportunity to just go ahead and come on down, right? Well, apparently I still needed some, a time in the desert, you know, to, uh, to overcome a few more things. So instead of moving here, I moved down to Arizona. And, uh, but the Lord knew exactly what he was doing when he sent us there. He, 
he was he was going to continue to show me um, and really start even revealing to me more about who you are who who this body is and and some of the some of the things I was going to need to know about before I could make a choice to come here and uh, so we moved down to Arizona and I started to sell real estate while I was down there and that was 08 um, Anybody remember what happened in the real estate market in 08? Perfect time to start selling real estate, isn't it? <laughs> Needless to say, I, I maybe was able to sell a couple houses in 11 months or so and make hardly anything, but um, started delivering pizza for, you know, to make money to be able to help support my family. I, had, I moved in with my mom who lived down there at the time. So picture this for just a second. Here's Mr. Big Shot Air Force pilot. And I'm only saying that because that's what I thought of myself, okay? I thought I was, had, had made it. You know, the academy tells you that when you go to school there, you're the top one-tenth of the one, top one percent of everybody in the country. And they stop there. They don't tell you top one percent of what, but, you know, they, they do tell you you're the top, you know? <laughs> um, and and, and I, I believed them, too, at the time. So I thought I was all that, you know? And, but God was really, he was doing a work. I mean, as we started to move this direction, so I hear I have a house, I couldn't pay for it. We didn't, we couldn't sell it. The market was dead. I'd lost all the value in it that was there. So it was, I was upside down in it, had a full mortgage. I couldn't pay for the thing. Moved to Arizona, moved in with my mom, trying to sell real estate, but really only selling pizza. I mean, things were looking real good. And, and really they were because what was happening is I was, I was being reduced. I was being humbled, <laughs> circumstances, but it, it was, I, was starting to, I was starting to have to, to let go and starting to have to reach out for, for something new. And, and the whole time we wanted, we wanted to be here, but something in me also was, was like I wanted to be mutual. I didn't, I didn't want to just come. I didn't want to just pack my bags and move out here. So the Lord really used um, our time down in Arizona. So a couple quick things there, and then I'm going to try to wrap this up. Um, while we were there, I remember calling Brother Randy Bram at one point and saying, I'm just ready to come. What, what do I got to do? And he said, well, maybe, maybe now is a good time to start talking about a few things. I said, great, let's do it. What do we got to talk about? I was just, let's get it out of the way so I can come. I mean, it was like I was ready. And because things just weren't good, you know, I was ready to, to, to make, make a change. Well, he said, well, there's just a few little things like nonviolence and the oneness of God and, you know, just, just some small things, you know. Um, and I'll tell you, both of those words, quite honestly, at this point in my life, I had never heard before. I didn't even know what oneness was. I mean, I'd only been exposed to a Trinitarian type of a doctrine or background, you know, and never even heard that there was a debate about it or a, or a difference in that. I mean, never even knew it. And so that was one thing. And then the nonviolence, that was a big one for me, uh, being in the military pilot and stuff. And so we get down there and, and God really, he, uh, he, he put me through a challenge right away. I mean, it's, it's my mom, she, I mean, she knew half the town. It was a small place in Arizona, so she shared with a bunch of people down there that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, 
she shared with a bunch of people down there that I was prior Air Force pilot and all this. Well, it turns out down in that part of Arizona, Fort Huachuca is down there, and it's it's like this big. Um, it's a it's an air for, it's a base, but it's a it's a joint military base where um, a lot of government contracts are and all this stuff, and and they usually have a very difficult time getting people who have a flying background to come there. And here I walk in, and they find this out, and I got phone calls, I got emails, I got, um, I went to job fairs and people like almost pouncing on me to try to um, offer me jobs. One guy, you know, like Coast Guard, or not the Coast Guard, I'm sorry, the Border Patrol, saying, we'll make you, you know, you, we'll, we'll pay you six figures if you'll come fly with us. We'll teach you how to fly helicopters. We'll do this, we'll do that. And so I was being challenged in every direction um, with, uh, with, with what I was starting to hear about this, this nonviolence, that Jesus was a lamb of God and that he laid his life down and that I was supposed to do the same thing. But here I was, this Air Force pilot. And, and so this was a real struggle for me. And, and uh, getting all these job offers, it was like, okay, we're going to put you to the test now. You know, it's, it's, um, <laughs> we're going to see if you, if you can do this. And, and by the way, this is during the time when I couldn't sell a house. I could only deliver pizza, really, and I'm still living at my parents' house. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, if I could just take this job, I could take care of my family. I could, I could you know, I, I could provide for them. And, and everybody, my mom included, when I would start saying, oh, I don't know, and I, would, I, just, I don't know about this. So I'd, I'd call back down here and I'd try to justify it and say how I'm not going to be dropping any bombs. I'm not even going to give gas to airplanes that can't drop bombs anymore. This is a totally different thing. I mean, it's like, you know. I was trying to find every possible way to do this, and they sent me a book. Believe it or not, it wasn't Beyond Violence, um, although I was in the middle of reading that book at the time and, and, and being disillusioned about a lot of the things that, that I'd believed from public school and everything, but um, they sent me a book called Two Powers, Two Kingdoms. What's the name of it? Two, whatever, it's the Two Powers books. You know, only two choices, I think we call it today. And, and it was like a tiny paper at the time. It wasn't what it is today, it's, but it was a small little paper. And, uh, and I read that, that book, and, and I'll tell you now, finally, the two absolute distinct kingdoms was visible to me. And that was what gave me finally the conviction of what this whole nonviolent conviction was supposed to be. And instead of sitting here trying to justify, you know, how am I going to navigate this? How can I make this work and provide for my family and do all these things? And, and, and uh, um, I read that book, and this is when God really, really became, I mean, the, the, the two kingdoms, and that, that they're totally diametrically opposed to one another, and they are absolutely cannot be mixed, finally came into view for the first time. Amen? And... Uh, and then that was right when another job offer came. And this time when my mom, came, my mom actually came to me of all people. And her friend said, I just got off the phone with my friend. They're basically rolling this red carpet out for you. Starting salary, such and such, all the benefits you want. I mean, all this just through this, handed it to me on a platter. And for the first time I was able to say no. I'm not going there. I don't have to even think about this one anymore. And she, of course, gets all up in arms and starts saying, what are you doing? You can't, 
you can't do that. It's, I mean, what, think about your family. Think about your one-year-old son. Think about this and that. No, I cannot do it. And I knew I couldn't explain to her. I didn't have the, the ability to do that. I knew that I wouldn't e she wouldn't even understand it. So I didn't even try, but I was able for the first time to be able to say, amen, this is real. This is, these two, there are two distinct kingdoms, and I need to come out of the one wholeheartedly, completely, and be uprooted and transplanted into the other one if, if, if I'm going to make it here. And so a total separation from these things was able to come. And it was about that time when still not making any money, still didn't have anywhere to go, and all these things that, um, remember I said a minute ago that I wanted it to be mutual, and I'm on the phone with someone down here, I think it was Brother Randy at the time actually, and I just said, you know, the Bible says not to get weary and well-doing, and we're trying to be, we're trying to do that, but would you pray for us that we don't grow weary? This is not going well. It's really, really big struggle. And, and so I got a phone call that said, you know, a couple days later, and they said, well, why don't you come on down and, and uh, see what you think, you know, and come, come just participate for a while with us. And I'm t less than a week we were there. Packed everything up, and we moved down here. And I'll tell you, it's, you know, it's, and even since then, my testimony's not over. You know, I mean, it's still being written today. It's still, God is still changing my heart today. He is still showing me. He's still revealing more of who he was to me. I didn't get into the whole thing on the oneness of God, but when, 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 when the church started showing me and I started to see that, I literally had a vision. I mean, I, I could see it in my eye and, I, and it, had, it had sound effects to it. I saw pieces of the puzzle, a puzzle, eight, I mean, what puzzle, I don't know, but any puzzle. But there were a lot of empty spaces and the pieces started flying in from all over the place. I mean, that's the picture I saw and that was the sound I heard. And it was like, and, it, and the neatest part about it was, it didn't get filled completely. There was still more to come. There's still more revelation. There was still more God wanted to show me in my heart. There's still more I had to repent of. There was still more I had to give myself to. You know, and, and, and as time has gone on, I'm telling you, since I've been in this, you know, not just a repentance from, from the carnal sin and those things, but the mind and the thoughts and, the, and, the, and, the, and who, we thought, who I thought I was. Amen? And and even how to walk in the spirit. I told you I had those 12 years of praying and trying to get back into that place where I could touch God and he could move through me in this supernatural way that I didn't understand. And then, and then to meet the body of Christ, to finally have relationships of discipleship, to finally have people to say, no, brother, this isn't it. Or, or have you considered praying in this way? Or have you prayed about that even? Or something like, you know, these kinds of things that started, started coming. And... And then, and then sitting through Bible studies of, of, of understanding what a true repentance really was all about, that we needed to not only dig the bedrock, but we had to clear it out, and then we had to fall and break on that rock. Amen. And, and I remember so vividly um, being even in a baptism class that I was actually helping with at the time. So this is many years after I, I came here, and uh, Brother Gary was sharing that day, and he started talking about all these 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 stones that have been torn down and that are still lying in the rubble around you and all of these doctrines, these things that, that you used to believe, these things of, of what, you know, a Trinitarian viewpoint and, and or, or 
I mean, I'll just use that one as an example, but many others that needed to be swept out of the way, totally moved out of the way so that all that was left was the solid rock that we could stand on that would be Jesus, you know? And, and I just want to testify that, that it's still happening. Amen, this, this, this story is not over yet. My story is not over, your story is not over. And even this week, God was showing me something that, that was so eye-opening and I just, and this is I'm sharing it because it was a was a testimony of of the goodness of God as we sang about tonight amen that you know I hope this can help somebody but reading in Luke um, I think it's 11 and the the man that goes to his friend at midnight we, we're familiar with the story right he goes to his friend at midnight and he's knocking is he needs some bread so that he can help somebody. But he's, his recognition is that he needs to help somebody. Amen? It's not, and it is says that his friend got up and gave it to him, not because he was his friend, but because of his persistence. And the thing that got me wasn't even that I'd never seen it necessarily in this way before, but right after that, it says that, Therefore, Jesus said, or, or so, I don't remember how, what the exact word is, he doesn't change his thought. He rolls right into, therefore, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. And he goes, what father would give him a stone if he asked for bread and that whole process. And at the end of that little passage, it says, it says, but how much more would he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And what hits me about that is it's still the same thought. Why has he given us his Holy Spirit? Why did he give it to me then? Why has he given it to you? Why does he? It's so that we can have something to give to somebody else. Amen. It's a, and, and if that would be our prayer, God, every day, I don't, I, I'm going to persistently keep coming to you every single day because I don't have in myself what it's going to take to give anything to anybody else. I need to hear from you. I need to have your Holy Spirit. It needs to be a river of living water that comes in and is shed abroad by my heart, by his Holy Spirit, to other people. But then as I empty myself, God, you're going to give me some more because I need more tomorrow and more today for what it is. And so if we would pray, God, I need this not for me, not just so I can make it, not just so we can say we've checked the box even in that, that we have the Holy Spirit, but that it can be life-giving power to somebody else amen and that's the only reason I'm here it came through your brother it came through Mark it came through of course Chris and it came through so many Mark Dickey I mean and the Brims and so many other people that's why I'm here and and I wouldn't have wouldn't have been here would never never come here if it hadn't been for that love of God being poured out and shed abroad by your hearts and now I just pray God help me to do that help me to continue to do that help us all to continue to do that and I tell you and it's a promise if our focus and our eyes are on others and it's for somebody else how much more will your heavenly father give his spirit to you amen if you would ask him amen thank you jesus while andrew's coming to the piano i just want to say the world is increasingly becoming a hostile place for kingdom pilgrims. But he says, blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Amen. The kingdom, this place here, is an environment 
where the refugees who have been trying to serve God in Egypt can find a place where they belong, find a place where we're pressing toward the same thing. And what a powerful admonition to think that Mark Keel's personal struggles were not just for him. They were for Teb, Danny's brother. And Teb's personal struggles, he was going, he was going to a courtroom to ask a judge to be let off of a sentence. But because he was in that courtroom getting victory in his personal struggle, they reached out to Tim. And because of Tim, others are here. Amen. What a powerful thought to zoom out of just my needs and say, God, I want to be part of the kingdom of the son of your love. Amen. And that's what the Lord is extending to all of us. Amen. As, as we sing this song, let this song be our prayer to surrender our lives completely to God. Not just for our, our soul's sake, though certainly for that, but for the one who died for us and for the, the people who are longing to see Jesus through us. Thank you, Brother Tim. Thank you, Jesus. This is my worship. This is my offering. In every moment, I withhold nothing. I'm learning to trust you, even when I can't see it. And even in suffering, I have to believe it. If you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say release, I'm letting go. If you're in it with me, I'll begin. And when you say to jump, I'm diving in. If you say be still, then I will wait. If you say to trust, I will obey. I don't want to follow my own way. I surrender, Spirit, lead me. It felt like a burden, but once I could grasp it, you took me further, further than I was asking. And simply to see you, it's worth it all. My life is an altar. Let your fire fall. If you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say release, I'm letting go. If you're in it with me, I'll begin. And if you say to jump, I'm diving in. If you say be still, then I will wait. If you say to trust, I will obey follow in your way I surrender spirit lead me 
don't trust my ways I'm trading in my thoughts I've laid down everything Because you're all that I want I've landed on my knees This is the cup you have for me And even when it don't make sense I'm gonna let your spirit lead me Yeah. 